Hey, before you sit down, grab somebody's hands. Lord, open our eyes that we might see there's more to you than we've ever imagined. Open our eyes to see another dimension of who you are. Let us see beyond the flesh into the glory of the ever-living God. Lord, I pray that our ears would be open, our hearts would be ready, and that we'd be forever changed. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'll try to preach real fast this morning. It's been noted that I can speak up to 1,500 words a minute. That means you're going to have to listen really fast if I'm going to get done by noon. Uh, And I will conclude when I'm concluded. I won't be concluded until I find that conclusion. And it takes me a while to find the end of the thing. So when I get there, I'll let you know when I'm done. And they went up to the mountain. The mountains are significant in the scriptures. They're mentioned over 500 times about how Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, that he withdrew and went up to a mountain on a solitary place. The psalmist says, lift up my eyes to the mountains from which cometh my help. We live in Kansas. There's no mountains here in a geological formation way. But I might ask us, for those of us that live on the plains, how we can go up to the mountain. I might ask us to remember that Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. I might ask us to remember that Noah landed the ark on a mountain. It's parked somewhere on a mountain. I might ask us to remember that Mount Zion is the house, the temple of God in the city of David known as Jerusalem. I might ask you to remember that on Mount Carmel, Elijah called down fire. I might ask you to remember that Elijah went up to a mountain to hear the still, small voice of God. That God does tremendous things on mountains because just symbolically they represent getting a little closer to the God of the heavens. That when we look at the reading today, we are reminded that God preached the best sermon on a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. That he gave his final discourse on a mountain. And that here today, we realize that he took Peter, James, and John, three men of of the apostles, of the disciples of the New Testament, to meet with two men from the Old Testament. Where two or three agree, or maybe even five, there I am right? And so they go up to this mountain, and the Bible says that while they were speaking, they were speaking to one another. In fact, the Bible says that Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about what Jesus had to do in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and die. And while they were talking, now come on, we're up on a mountain, the glory of the Lord has broke out, and and, and Peter interrupts the conversation. You didn't get it. Jesus is talking to Moses and to Elijah, and Peter can't stay quiet. Do you know how many people never hear from God because they're too busy interrupting the conversation that's going on? Here they are up on a mountain, closer to God, and Jesus is being fulfilled in this glory. He's changed. There's something that's altered about him. And Peter goes, it's good that we're here. Can, Can we build a booth? Can I tell you something? Most people are too busy thinking about what they want to do for Jesus rather than just shutting up. Jesus doesn't need you to do anything. There's nothing he needs from you. He doesn't need a booth from you. He's going to move inside of you. You can't build his house. He has already formed you. He's going to move. He doesn't need you to build anything. He's done with that kind of thing. Just be still. God wants into you this revelation. And Peter is interrupting in the midst of the conversation. Wanting to know what 
he could do. Then that overshadowing presence. You remember last week when I talked to you about how Mary was overshadowed. And, and, and the whole, this cloud comes down. You know, that cloud that Moses went up into and got that, that cloud that Elijah was flown away in the whirlwind and the chariot, that cloud. And now that cloud hovers down and it overshadows them. Every time you see a cloud overshadowing the chaos of the world, he's about to create something out of nothing. Every time you see the glory of God begin to move and to hover, you need to understand God and His creative ability is about to reveal something that you've never seen before. Oh, to live in that glory, to live in that cloud, to be caught up and to stop listening to the other voices of the world, to stop listening to what other people say about them, but to understand that God's about to reveal something. And not reveal it to your head, not reveal it to your touch, but to reveal it through the Spirit. In the 16th chapter of Matthew, the the chapter right before this chapter, Jesus looks at his disciples and said, Who do they say that I am? And they said, Some say this and some say this. And then Peter jumps up and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Upon this I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever you bind will be bound, and whatsoever you loose will be loosed. Upon the knowledge that Jesus is Lord, he'll build his church. But that knowledge does not come through gray matter. That knowledge comes from spirit to spirit, heart to heart. So in the 16th chapter, Peter realizes that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one that's going to destroy the yoke, the one that's going to set his people free. Peter realizes that. He he gets it in Revelation. He gets it in an Isuzu pickup. You need to understand. He didn't get it by reading a book. He didn't get it through the exhortion of preaching. He got it heart to heart. Bam, and he knew. But in the 17th chapter, Jesus takes them a little higher. Can I go a little higher? Can we go a little further than, ah, he's Lord? Can we go a little? He takes Peter, James, and John because the other nine weren't ready. You didn't hear me. He takes Peter, James, and John because the other nine weren't ready. You know how many people aren't ready to go a little higher? They're not ready to go a little deeper. They're not ready to go just a little bit beyond what they think they know. He takes Peter, James, and John. He goes to the mountain, and this time he's going to show them how he really is. That he's not just a man, a boy from Nazareth. That he's more than flesh and blood. That he's more than the God of humanity, but that he's the God of light. The God of light. Can I just tell you, until you experience the God of light, and the glory of God breaks out, and all of a sudden, there's more to Jesus than this man from Nazareth. See, that revealed knowledge, that revealed knowledge doesn't take place through education. That revealed knowledge takes place because the grace of God lifts you a little higher, takes you out of yourself, takes you beyond into that metaphysical, ethereal, spiritual realm. And you get an invitation to come a little higher. Say, let's go a little higher. Let's go up to the mountain. Let's get out of the things of this world. Let's don't participate in all this stuff. Let, let, let's, let's go beyond. Let's have a prophetic word. Well, we don't let people believe in prophetic words. Well, I have a prophetic word more stable than, because we were eyewitnesses of, Peter would later write. I saw it with my own eyes. 
You see, this story of the transfiguration is a call to have a clarity of vision, to focus on Jesus. And they saw something. They they saw the glory of God that breaks through the flesh. And and, and it alters their life. You know what I'm praying this morning? I'm praying that you see something you don't believe. I'm praying that you see something that you're going, that can't be true. I'm praying this morning you see more than you've ever seen before. I pray this morning he takes you beyond your Baptist, Pentecostal, Episcopal, your your mental understanding. Because if you ever see Jesus as he is, he will blow your mind into next Tuesday. He'll shatter you. You'll fall face down and your Baptist friends will think you've become Pentecostal. You won't, everything under you will become unstable and you're, bam, you'll go down. It'll be like someone stuck your finger in a light socket and you'll just stand there and shake. I grew up. People get touched by the presence of God, not because of the preaching, not because we were in good singing, because they were playing a six-string guitar, six guitar with five strings. You need to understand me. What America needs right now is an encounter with a God on the top of a mountain that blows their mind in the next Tuesday. We don't need any more church grow stuff that sits you politely in a seat and hands you a program to take care of your kids. We need the power of God to break out so much that the mountain shakes and your brain goes on silent. We need to shut the Peters up and listen. Oh, you didn't get it. Touch your neighbor and say, I need to see this. I, I, I need to hear this. I, I, I need an out of the world. I, I, I need another dimension. I need to stick my head beyond. I, I need to be overshadowed by a cloud and hear a voice that I've never heard before. But I need to be caught up into this. I need to follow Moses to the top of a mountain where he gives something even greater than Ten Commandments. I, I need to hear that voice, feel that fire. I, I need to know that this is... You see, the Bible says that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. I need to see through the veil of that which is visible into the invisible source of everything that's... There is something behind what I see in the natural that gives everything to that. I need to see the author and the foundation. I need to see the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I need to see that which hovered over the sea. I need to know that which gave birth to me. Yes, my parents gave me a physical substance, but I have a father that gave me a spiritual being that's bigger than what my parents brought together. I'm not just the product of two beings sweating together. I'm the product of a God that spoke life down into my life. I am not merely a physical being. I am a spiritual being. Isn't it interesting that people will spend time, money, and energy feeding their physical body? They'll check what goes in it. They'll pamper it. They'll dress it. They'll buy makeup for it. They'll pump weights for it. They'll do everything they can to take care of their physical body, but it will pass away, but they will spend nothing investing in the spiritual being that's going to live forever. Man, if you want to have life and life everlasting, take care of your spirit, feed your spirit, feed your soul for God's sakes. Lent is about putting some priorities in place that feed the spirit man and not just the... They go to the top of the mountain and they realize that Jesus is God. He's glory. 
Fire from the loins up, fire from the loins down. He's bigger than anything they've ever imagined. Elisha's standing right there. Moses had seen the invisible. Elijah got taken up into a cloud, never died. Moses looks at Elisha and says, you can have a double portion if you can see me when I pass through the clouds because as you see, so you shall be. You'll never be anything more than you can see. If you have no vision, you'll perish. But if you can have vision of who I am, you can live forever. But you've got to be able to see more than what religion has handed to you. Pastor, if you just wouldn't preach to some passion, I could bring my friends. <laughs> I'm going to feel bad again. <laughs> and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them. Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Woo! Say, no one but see only Jesus if it ain't Jesus, I ain't looking at it. To look at nothing but, not to be talk, taken aside to the left or to the right, but to see Jesus and Jesus only, high and lifted up with his glory, filling the temple. Amen. I would have died. I would have lost heart, David writes, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. They saw only Jesus in his glory. Moses in Exodus 33 said, God, let me see your glory. And God said, okay, I'll show you my goodness. Do you understand that goodness and glory are the same thing? They come from the same root Hebrew word. I want to see your glory. I'll show you my goodness. I've seen your glory. Then you must be seeing goodness. I would have lost heart and perished unless I had believed. I would see the goodness of God. Listen to me. Religion wants you to look at sin. Religion wants you to look at the sin that sinners are doing. Religion wants you to look at how bad it's getting. Religion wants to give you an ap apocalyptic, devastating view of the world. God wants you to see goodness and see only goodness. That when you look at one another, you see God. Because every person in this room was made in the image and the likeness of a good God. Some of you need to have your eyes open so that you see good and not bad. You see good in yourself. You see good in others. Quit giving lip service and criticizing, but speak that which is edifying to one another. Love one another because you're a gift from God. Yeah, but they shut up and put your butt back in your pocket because I'm tired of hearing about your criticism of how bad the world is. It's good. Created in the image of a good God and their eyes were open and they saw nothing but Jesus his goodness, his grace, his glory, his generosity. We need to have eyes only for that which is good. If it ain't good, I ain't looking at it. If it ain't good, I ain't talking about it. Man, that'll change. Some of you have no more to say. <laughs> you, you won't be able to talk to your spouse for a month. Because you ain't said nothing good about her in months. And now you're going to have... I, Mm. I see only good. I see only good. I see only good when I look at that child. I see only good when I look at the world. I see only good. Yeah, but pastor, you just got to be truthful. I see only good. I'm going to call those things that be not as though they were. I'm going to prophesy that God's going to take evil and work it for good. I'm going to prophesy that even in the midst of suffering, God going to make it good. We left you at the bottom of the mountain with the other nine. Do you understand? He only took three up there because they were the only three willing to see what was 
good. <sighs> He's stepping on my toes. Pick him up. Peter said, we actually heard it. We are eyewitnesses of it. John says, we heard it, we saw it, and we handled it. We had fellowship with it. And, and, and if we had fellowship with it, if you have fellowship with us, then you have fellowship with it. If you, if you fellowship with us and we fellowshiped with him, then you're fellowshipping with him. Well, if I had only been there, well, I was there and I saw it. And, and as he is, so are we in this world. So, you know, the world should be seeing goodness in us. The world should be seeing kindness in us. The world should be seeing Jesus. We're called the body of Christ for a reason. If they've seen us, they've seen him. If they, am I making any sense? That the church is the manifestation of the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ while he was here. Well, if I could just see Jesus, ta-da! What? Jesus is up there. No, no, no. Jesus isn't up there. Jesus is in you. Jesus isn't absent. Jesus is present. He's present in you. Though you keep him well cloaked and hidden behind you, he is there. Though you've dressed him up as Bill or Bob or George or Henrietta, he is still there. And if you could get to the mountain, if you could just get to the mountain, if you could just get a little higher, and lose yourself and find him. If I could leave myself at the valley and find myself at the mountain. If I could go a little higher and see that which is unseen. I got nine minutes, good Lord Jesus, help me. If I could understand that I've been joined with, I've become one with, that, 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 that we're, we're, we're the same in the image and the likeness, that he's the head and I might be <laughs> the foot. But that even as I'm a foot, I'm a part of him. And he's a part of me. And that we've been joined together by this wonderful ontological spiritual thing that's beyond the definition and the accountability. It's a mystery. That the glory which you have given me, I have given them. That, that they may be one. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. That the glory that you have given me, I have given them. Look at your neighbor and say, you're glorious. You're glorious. You're crowned with glory. You live in glory. The light that broke through him now breaks in your life. And the enemy wants to say that you're living in darkness. Well, shine, brother, shine. He didn't light a candle and put it under a bushel. Let it shine, let it shine. Transfiguration Sunday reminds us that God has placed inside of us this glory, this Christ in you, which is the very hope of it, that we ourselves this morning could go to a mountain. We could go a little higher. We could see a little more clearly who Christ is and thus who we are. That we could leave that at the bottom and go. Well, but pastor, there's no mountains in Kansas. There's a hill, but there's no mountains in Kansas. How do we go there? I'm glad you asked. In conclusion. First conclusion. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
Your worship, what you do not know, and we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is. Say now. now. Say it's now. It's, it's now. It won't be in that mountain, and it won't be in that mountain. Those were just metaphors. You won't worship in that mountain, but now the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. For God is a spirit, and those that worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you understand that every time we worship in a corporate setting, we go to the mountain? That every time we leave our individuality behind, that every time we join together and begin to worship, for the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. That every time we begin to lift up our voice in praise, that every time we sing a song that elevates Jesus, that every time we do that, we go up a mountain and we have the potential of seeing the glory of God manifested again. That any time you stand on the outside and wait, you will not experience We enter in everything that has. It's been the whole theme this morning. That worship is what opens us up to the glory of God. That then worship and praise, the singing and the dancing is not a prelude or it's not a personality or or, or it's not a charismatic Pentecostal thing. It is the call to every Christian to worship God. Not on that mountain or that mountain, but in this setting of this thing called the church. There are a lot of gatherings going on this morning that think they're the church, but they're not the church because they don't understand they've been called to worship. They've been called to praise. They've been called to exalt the name of God. They've been called to, to, to lift up their voice and to shout. They've been called to enter in. With, oh, my God, I have to. This is me trying to keep it under control. I wonder what would happen if you got out of your car next Sunday going, hey, I'm going to, hey, hey. I just wonder. I just wonder if you lost your shame. Everybody in this room thinks that shame has to do with what you did wrong. But if you live shame free, you don't care what anybody thinks while you're shouting and jumping. And, see, some of you are ashamed of being a worshiper. You're ashamed of praising God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. You're ashamed of him. You're ashamed to let go and be free. See, you think that shame has to do with who you slept with last week. No, shame has to do with who you know. I'm not ashamed to know Garland. I'm not ashamed to know Pete. I'm not ashamed to know Andy. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not going to be in a box called Baptist. I'm not going to be in a box called Pentecostal. I'm not going to be in a box called introvert. I'm going to let my... Oh, Pastor, if you'd just shorten the praise. If you'd shorten the praise, there wouldn't be any point. What's the point? If we didn't come in here to abandon ourselves to the king that gave his life, what be the point? For the day has come and now is when the father is searching and seeking and longing and desiring for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. They'll step out of the limitations of their own intellect and they'll step over into the reality. They'll come to a mountain that's higher than I. They'll stand on the top of that mountain and they'll begin to feel the fire and hear the voice and know the word. Where is that people? Do I have any people like that that don't mind? 
It's time to break out. Yeah, until you break out, you won't break through. Until you come up, you won't go. Yeah, but I'm just not that kind. Honey, if you had been on a mountain, you'd be that kind. Mm -mm. Just ask Paul. One moment, there was a man in the glory, turned his life around. I can remember the day that, that Garland gave his heart to the Lord. It had nothing to do with my preaching. Not one word because I hadn't got to yet. But we were worshiping. We were singing. And I stopped and I said, somebody needs to go ahead and give their hearts to the Lord. Twenty-some people that day. Garland stumbled. He was sitting just right about there. And I watched him. I stand there. I watched him and he kind of wobbled. I thought, man, I wish you hadn't done that before you come to church. And, and he got to about here. And he stood here. And I finally I walked over to him, put my arms around. He goes, can you see that? I said, what? He said, can you see that light? You know, some of you never saw anything. You just responded to some sort of intellectual reality that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Hear me, I don't care what you responded to mentally. You have to have an encounter with a God that's bigger than you because that's the only thing that will change your life. This whole place is about the presence of God. It's about I'm trying to see you blinded. I want to see you fall off your truck. I'd, listen, if he makes me lay down in the parking lot at Walmart, he'll make you do something stupid too. I had a lady say, I saw you. What were you doing laying on the parking lot? I'd be in a speed bump. I can remember standing out in the mall. You remember years ago they had that great big reindeer and they had Santa Claus. You remember, you remember that? And that reindeer would in and they were singing jingle bells. And here's all these people with all the kids standing around and we're watching the reindeer. And the Lord said, I want you to praise me. I said, okay. He said, I said, I want you to praise me. I said, okay, when I get out of here. He goes, now. <laughs> so I do one of those half mass things. He goes, that ain't how you praise me. I stand there going, Lord, there's people watching. He goes, that's why I want you to praise me. I said, Lord, they'll think I'm a fool. So? So here I am going, I love you, God. Thank you, Jesus. He said, is that it? I'm thinking, they're going to haul me out of here. You know, our kids got to the front of the line to see Santa Claus that day. It's amazing. Get out of the way. The man's crazy. Get out. I hate it when God uses a prophet before I preach because they steal my verses. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy and praise. Yes, I will sing praise to the Lord. Whoever offers a sacrifice of praise will glorify me. And I will order his conduct aright. If one moment in the glory of God will change our conduct. Change it. It'll alter it. It'll turn it around. Touch your neighbor and say, next Sunday I'm going to come shouting. 
Next Sunday, I'm going to stand. See, I'm waiting for the people in the, in, in the foyer in the second service to be praising so loud in the, in the foyer that I have to cut short the service. Wouldn't that be cool? Is that you got you didn't wait till we started, you just started out there in the lobby. Would, would that be that'd be all right if you just broke into singing out there? So you didn't wait for Tammy to hit a note, you just started singing. Wonder what happened. Wonder how many people get healed in the foyer. Wonder how many people get delivered just because you stand in the foyer going, Praise God, hallelujah, glory to God. I mean, if you can't do it in the foyer, you'll never do it in the parking lot. It's taken me 30 minutes to get one. I can keep going. You'll get it in a minute. If it takes me 30 minutes to get one of you, maybe by three I'll get four or five of you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I love you, Jesus. I came to worship you, to exalt your name, to lift you higher to declare that you're the only living most high God. I came to raise my voice and make a sound to you. I came to draw attention to you. I love you. You're the name above every name. You're the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the author, the finisher, the mighty God, the everlasting King, the bright and morning star. Hallelujah. Every move of God is marked by praise. Some of you have been praying for revival, but you've been holding back the praise. Oh, you're not listening to me. Last week, David and I were in a place, and this young man was teaching, and he made one statement. I went, oh, my God. Did you know that Luke tells the same story as Matthew, but Luke adds this little line. Luke adds this little line. While Moses... And Elijah were talking to Jesus about what he was going to do in Jerusalem. Peter, James, and John went to sleep. There's the glory of God. And they go to sleep. Jesus is talking about the death, burial, and the resurrection. He's talking about what he's going to do in Jerusalem that redeems us all. And Peter, James, and John go to sleep. <laughs> and then the young man said, and then look over in the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And Peter, James, and John go to sleep. You know how much of the church today goes to sleep when you talk talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ? When you go to the table and you remember his body and his blood and we click off because we just go to sleep. Awake, O oh thy sleeper. Lift up thy voice. What am I trying to do here this morning? I'm saying, people, we need to wake up. We're living in the glory of God. We need to wake up. Jesus came. He died. He rose. He's coming again. He's present when we come together. Wow. I sing. We preach. We break the bread. And the Bible said, I am there. 
right there, right there, right there, right, right here. The same God that was on that mountain is the same God that's here this morning. Hallelujah.